The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 78. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Welcome back. I am your host, Dr. Ryan Gray. And I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. How are you doing? When I announce that opening, I say I believe that competition amongst your pre-med peers is detrimental. But actually, we, right, Allison? Yes, Ryan. I have Allison here today, and she believes that as well. I do. It's the heart of what we do and, and, and everything that we put together with the podcast and the website. A lot of it came from the fact that there's so much misinformation out there. And that kind of gets into what we're going to be talking about today with the dark side of medical education. And it starts in the pre-med world with gunners, as everybody knows them, or most people know them as gunners, those classmates that you have that undermine what you do. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But I do want to remind you that it is running out, time is running out for you to take advantage of the awesome deal that the Princeton Review put together for you, the listener, a listener of the Medical School HQ podcast. During the month of May 2014, you can save 10% off the Princeton Review's MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online course. If you go to PrincetonReview.com and you enter the promo code MSHQ5, the number 5, you'll save 10% off the MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online course. And we've talked about it before. We did an interview with Chris. Do you remember that interview, Allison, with Chris? Absolutely. Awesome guy. Back in session 17, medicalschoolhq.net slash 17. And we talked about why the Princeton Review was, in my mind, probably the best live course out there. And they offered multiple instructor instructors it's hard for me to say instructors 
per class. So when you take the course, you're not dealing with just one teacher who you may not jive with. You're dealing with multiple teachers teaching each of the subjects. So awesome setup that the Princeton Review has, awesome deal that they're supporting you, the Medical School HQ podcast listener, uh, through the month of May by saving 10% using the code MSHQ5. Thank you, Princeton Review, for your continued support of the Medical School HQ podcast. Hi, Allison. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am outstanding. It's fun to have you on. We don't have you on nearly enough anymore. I know. I Although the uh, our listeners haven't really called in or wrote in asking for more of you, so maybe... <laughs> Well, thanks. <laughs> Maybe if, if you're listening to this and you want more of Allison, send us a, an email or a message and let us know and, and we'll work on it. But, yeah, let, uh, let Ryan know on my behalf. <laughs> Maybe support you a little bit more. So this, the, 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 what we want to talk about today, Allison, it, it came about because it, we were actually listening to another podcast that had a, had a very similar title, The Dark Side of... Uh, I forget what it was, but it was the dark side of whatever it was. And you immediately said, hey, that would be a great podcast topic for our podcast, the dark side of what you would initially said, medicine. But we're going to narrow it down to the dark side of medical education because there's plenty to talk about there. There's there's more to talk about in medicine, but I think in, in medical education, there's plenty. And that's what our listeners are going through. So let's talk about that. Yeah. And interestingly, shortly after we heard that podcast and I thought of this topic, we received uh, a journal in the mail, which we'll also discuss later on, which feeds right into this topic. So it all just came together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the journal she's, uh, Allison's talking about is Academic Medicine that's that's um, published by the AAMC. It's a, a great medical journal it's all about medical education, and as you're going through the process, it might not be a bad thing to to subscribe to or look into. It can be a little expensive. I don't know if they have student discounts, but I'm sure they do. Yeah, how do we get it, by the way? I paid for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> we get about seven journals at the house, so I just yeah. wasn't sure. Most of them go in the trash. This one doesn't because hey. it's interesting. <laughs> Yeah. JAMA, if you're listening, stop sending us art journals. Well, the reality, folks, is you just don't have time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so let's start where kind of most of the listeners are in their path, and that's the pre-med world. As a pre-med, do you, do you remember any examples of this whole dark side of medical education? I think I remember a lot of what would be called by many scut work, work that had absolutely no educational value that was sometimes, that sometimes felt humiliating or felt just plain yucky, (laughs) but it was somewhat of a rite of passage. So yeah, I can think of multiple times, multiple examples as a pre-med? Yeah, actually. What kind of scut work were you doing as a pre-med? Well, uh, in one of my clinical experiences, one of my um, one of the experiences I had during the year between college and medical school, I spent at a women's clinic and everybody threw up. And <laughs> I literally would cart around vomit every day, uh, lots and lots of it, which probably, if you're eating, I'm sorry. 
uh, while you're listening to this episode. <laughs> but it was part of my job. I took vitals and vital signs on patients and I cleaned up their vomit and I cleaned up the chairs at the end of the day and in this recovery room where I was working and it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> Is that scut work though? It's not, but I think there are times that I can reflect on later on in my medical education when I was asked to clean something up or when I watched other people clean up various different bodily fluids. And as a medical student, you might say, well, hey, why would I need to do that? That's for housekeeping to do or that's that's not part of my education, but it actually is something that needs to be done. And sometimes you're there and you should be the person, maybe not in a perfect world, but we're all, it goes back to that that teamwork philosophy that we always talk about. Yeah. So uh, just something that came to mind when you asked, I, I don't know whether it's really scut work that I was doing, but so it wasn't, it wasn't fun. <laughs> let's, let's define scut work for, for the listener that, that doesn't know what scut work is, what we're talking about. Yeah. So scut work really is what I, just started alluding to, which is a kind of activity, which is something that is asked of you that really has no educational value. So an example of scut work might be cleaning up bodily fluids. Um, It could be uh, maybe, well, you know, I think part of the challenge, Ryan, is that people view scut work differently. So some students might think of of an activity as scut work where others would think it wouldn't be getting coffee for somebody definitely scut yeah, work yeah that's that's a no brainer <laughs> if somebody asks you when you're a go student go pick up my laundry right go pick up my laundry go <laughs> get me coffee get my lunch yeah. any of those things uh, which really are they don't have any educational yeah. value but now, in it, but you keep saying educational value and i've always used scut work to define defined as has Anything that doesn't have any direct patient care or patient involvement. So cleaning up bodily fluids, patient involved. The patient created that bodily fluid. (laughs) That is true. Well, I guess I'm... I think of it a little bit differently, but but yeah, educational, because any activity surrounding a patient is educational, but... Is cleaning up bodily fluids? Does that teach you anything? It it teaches you humility. So in some ways, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, part of the challenge may be that people do view scut work differently. I can tell you for sure. When I was a medical student in New York, there were things that we did: drawing blood, for example, which we did every single day. We would also not scut work. Yeah, not scut work at all. Right, a very important skill that I think every medical student needs to learn. But also sometimes we would transport our own patients places because we didn't have transport always available. Not scut work. Not scut work. But great time uh, to talk to patients. Right. Right. But I'll tell you, when I became a resident uh, and even later on in my medical training um, while still in medical school, but at other institutions where I I did electives. I found that students there viewed those things as scut work. There were times when, uh, and I, I think I actually had um, a conversation with a, one, a student at another school about this at one point. Uh, I said, oh, why why don't you go draw the blood? And they said, we have phlebotomists for that. And it was sort of, we're much too good for that. And it just mm-hmm. surprised me because I think it's such an invaluable skill to have, just like putting in an IV. I mean, if you're on a plane somewhere, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and some, I mean, I guess that would mean that you had, you know, some needles in your bag and, <laughs> and a big bag of saline. But the point is, it's an important skill to have. 
I think they carry saline as part of their kits. Well, who? I'm thinking of like me or somebody on the side of the road. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, uh, oh, well, like, like in an airplane. Yeah, no, you're probably I think right. They have that kind of stuff. But anyway. But yeah, so that's that's the thing. I think we we all may view scut work a little bit differently, but the major core of it is that yeah, it's something that, like Ryan said, it has no relationship to the patient. So picking up a resident's coffee, I mean, that may make their day better, but it certainly doesn't help their patients directly, except that they might be more awake to help those patients. Yeah. Scott work is not viewed well upon. Yeah. And so Scott work, while definitely something that may be humiliating to you and you could encounter kind of anywhere along your medical education path, let's get some to, to something a little bit more specific to pre-meds. And that's this whole gunner philosophy. I think this is the first time, and I'm sure you're listening to this, sitting in your car and driving down the road going, yes, there are so many gunners in my class, and sometimes it just makes me want to revolt and get out of this whole pre-med path, because if this is what it's going to be like, then I don't want to do this for the next eight years or, or however long you have left on your in your path because gunners make it miserable for everyone. Would you agree? I think so. And I think it's really easy to get frustrated by, by gunners. I think that they are around in different environments. So if you're on certain websites as a pre-med, you'll find loads of gunners who are potentially... <laughs> the going, website that will remain nameless. Yeah. SDM. Uh, that will tear you down and will write things on the forums just to make other people feel bad. You may encounter them online. Once you're in college or maybe even in high school, and and certainly uh, if you're in a pre-med track, a lot of times you will find gunners in your classrooms who are always those students who are sitting in the front row and jump mm-hmm. down to the front after class and ask the professor questions. And then everybody uh, knows who they are because you're, you're sitting in your <laughs> chemistry 101 course and the, the professor in, will invariably ask, who here is pre-med? And half the class raises their hand because almost all every pre-med out there will, for the most part, take the same classes in a similar order. So you're all going to be around each other, even if you're taking different majors. All those prereqs are there. Right. And there can be sort of closet secret nice <laughs> gunners who or nicer gunners who just do really well in class and therefore piss everybody off but there can also be gunners That's not a gunner. it's not really but but sometimes it, that's you just know, a nerd well <laughs> but sometimes that can be frustrating right if there's somebody who makes it look so easy but i think the people that are really more destructive are the type who uh who actually try to get advantage over other students and and are more cutthroat so there actually are medical schools where medical students have, and actually colleges too, where, where students have been known to remove pages out of certain books that exist in the library. Now, it's a little bit harder to do that nowadays with a lot of things being online, but people trying to sabotage each other. That's really what the gunner philosophy is about. It's how can I get ahead of everybody else and make sure that I'm the best and I get everything that I want and and quote unquote deserve. Yeah. and And I think that's that's the biggest difference is you can have that that closet gunner that you called it, but just a, a very smart person that is out to do their best, and that's that's great. But then the gunner is out there trying to cut down everybody else to gain that advantage, and that's that's 
where at at our opening where we talk about collaboration and hard work because in in my mind and if you look at the data there are plenty of seats in medical school and you may be laughing there are plenty of seats in medical school for students that deserve to get in there are many applicants to medical school that in in most people's minds really have no business applying because they they haven't uh, they haven't completed all their prereqs yet they're applying. They've done miserable on the MCAT yet they're applying. And and some people that get, do poorly on the MCAT get in. Uh, some people have terrible GPAs and are applying. So I believe, and Allison hopefully believes that when you collaborate, two minds are better than one. And so when when you're working together with your classmates, you will hopefully do better in your classes. You'll hopefully do better on the MCAT. You'll understand everything else that goes along with being a pre-med and and get all your prereqs accomplished because you've worked together and figured it all out and and kind of divided and conquered. And when you apply, you and the person that you've been working with aren't competing against each other because there are seats for both of you. Yeah, absolutely. I think the moral is the moral of the story is compete. If you're going to compete, compete with yourself. Uh, you want to do the best that you can do and try to improve upon your own performance in your career in medicine. There will always be these honors, these awards. You'll have the the best doctors in every city that comes out every year, and maybe that's what floats your boat. Maybe that's what gets you excited, but it shouldn't. It, it really, again, at the end of the day is about providing care to other people and, and improving their lives, things that we always talk about on the podcast. And so don't start your career in medicine by being one of those people who is all about just out, you know, getting ahead of everybody else, because that's not what it's about. It really isn't. And by the way, it comes across very quickly when you get to the wards. Who are the people who are trying to sabotage everyone else? Who are the people who are brown nosing? It's you want to be a team player and just be be down to earth, be a good person. Don't be one of those people because you're not going to make a difference to patients in the way I think personally in in the way that another person who's just who's just being a good person will. No. Yeah. All right. Do the best you can at school. Just don't be a gunner. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> don't purposefully cut down somebody else to try to get ahead. Yeah, don't, don't, don't steal people's OR times or try to get cases. Don't are, Tanya Harding them. Right. There are ways that people do this on the wards too. And unfortunately does not end in the classroom yeah. when you get to third and fourth year. I saw all sorts of weird stuff and you just, again, just, you know, do your thing, compete with yourself. So let's, let's get into more medical school side of things. And you kind of were just talking about it. being a gunner kind of goes, goes along in medical school as well. But, in in this academic medicine journal that we just received, and it just kind of was kind of fortuitous that it has a lot of articles about mistreatment in medical school, mistreatment of medical students, and it fits very well with our dark side of medical education uh, discussion today. And one of the articles in here talks about learning about medical student mistreatment from responses to the medical school graduation questionnaire. So when we graduated from medical school, there's a questionnaire that we filled out. And every medical school 
fills out this questionnaire, and it's it's done by the AAMC. And since 1991, they've included questions in this questionnaire about mistreatment. And it's been steady. About approximately 17 to 20% of medical students report mistreatment. And does that seem high to you, Allison? 17 to 20%. I think... Yes, because of the topic. I mean, 17 to 20% is is a a smaller number compared to, for example, 80%. But you're talking about mistreatment. So yeah, that's a pretty shameful number. Yeah. I I heard something the other day. We were at work and we were talking about uh, sexual assault. And the, the commander said something about one is too many. And I think it's it's a similar scenario here is is mistreatment shouldn't be accepted period. Yeah, absolutely. But at some point you have to realize that you're dealing with so many different personalities that you're bound to have some headbutting going on and maybe there's a perception of mistreatment that may or may not be there. You are. I think part of it is that medical schools in general have so much more control over what happens in the first two years. In many medical schools, if you're in a traditional type of MD or DO program where the first two years are in the classroom, because they get to control who those teachers are, who those professors are, they are hopefully only going to allow people to teach who should be teaching and who are good at what they do. And they control just really all the factors involved. But when you get into the wards, people are rotating sometimes at 10 different hospitals in, in a given medical school with with residents rotating in and out that the medical school may have absolutely no control over. They're, like you said, Ryan, there are so many different factors that go into it that I think it's very difficult to, um, to really control all of those things. And yes, you're dealing with a lot of very sleep-deprived sometimes irritable, uh, hungry people who are trying to take care of of patients who are dealing with some of the most difficult things that people experience in life. And that is a setup for a lot of emotions and, and difficult. Hangry. Yeah. They're hangry. Hungry and angry. Hangry. <laughs> yes. But they're also, I mean, they're dealing with very death and, and horrible accidents and, and terrible illnesses and, and just really tough, you know, family members that are that are devastated. I mean, some of the most difficult things that human beings go through. So it's sort of a setup for a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, difficult times. And sometimes that unfortunately falls down onto the, the poor shoulders of, of students trying to learn. One of the interesting things that they talked about in this article was was the fact that uh, there was a huge increase in the percentage of students that were aware of the school's policies on mistreatment. And I'd assume that every school has a zero tolerance policy on mistreatment. I don't think a school is going to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to allow this level of mistreatment. Anything above it, we don't like. But So I'd assume it's pretty cut and dry. But back in 2000, only 50% of the students said they were aware, were aware of the policies. And in 2011, 89% of the students said they were aware. But that's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing here is the fact that even though so many more students were aware of the policies, there was no increase in the percentage of students actually reporting any mistreatment. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Why is that? Well, and I think part of the answer is that 
in the culture of medicine and certainly traditionally speaking, there a part of the, well, certainly a part of it is hierarchical. So medicine is a very hierarchical culture. You have people who are subordinate to other people. And I think part of that culture is that people expect some amount of beratement of those under you. So some of this behavior, this this mistreatment, while the medical schools and the the higher ups may be looking at it as as shameful and and you know zero tolerance policy, students may be seeing residents being treated mis- mistreated and think that this is normal. And maybe their parents said, "Oh, well, back when I was a medical student, you know, we had to do X, Y, and Z," and and so it's it's part of the culture and it's assumed to be normal. Is that that kind of goes along with like the the philosophy of if if you're a male raised in a household of domestic violence that you're going to grow up and and be a domestic violence person yourself. Well, it may I mean there there may be sort of a vicious cycle about it. I think in in a in a situation where there's a culture of of or a belief system that's been in existence for for dozens or tens of hundreds of years, whatever, <laughs> for a long 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 Medicine's time. Medicine's been around a while. Well, I'm just thinking about sort of formal medical education, yeah. but yes, hundreds of years, it it's it's hard to break out of that so that this mold. So this is the way we've always done it, so this is the way we'll continue to do it. Right, and nobody certainly I'm not saying that's right. I think it's it's terrible certain the way that that medical education is handed down to medical students on the wards and certain circumstances. I'm saying I don't believe at all in any form of mistreatment of students, but I think that to just to answer your question, perhaps that is why students are not reporting these incidents anymore once they know about these policies, because they say, okay, well, the school formally says it's okay, but I still, we all still know the truth, right? That, you know, the, the dark truth that, that this is still, you know, pers- we still think this is normal, even if it's not okay, it's still normal. So let me give you a scenario and tell me if this is mistreatment. I'm a third-year medical student on the sur- uh, on the surgical uh, uh, rotation, and I'm in the operating room, and I'm retracting something, and the surgeon asks me a question about the procedure that's being done, or about the patient's disease process, or some some kind of clinical knowledge, what we would call pimping. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer. And I feel humiliated because the, the attending says something like, how can you not know that? You need to come prepared. And to me, that's humiliating because it's in front of other residents, fellows, nurses. When I'm asked... At graduation, in this questionnaire, was there mistreatment? I answer yes, because I was humiliated at that moment in time. Is that mistreatment? In my mind, no. And I think you're pointing toward a major um, consideration here, which is that pimping is different from beratement. Pimping is, is different than making someone feel just horrible. I, I think really... In medical school, it's it's a it's a profession. You're you're learning how you're learning a, a huge number of, of skills, and some of them are surgical, some of them are diagnostic. You're you're learning how to take care of human beings, and that is a tall order. It's a very it's a, a very big deal, and I I think along with that, 
there's a there's a responsibility that you're taking onto your shoulders, of course. And so when you don't know something that you should know that you should have read about or that you should have come prepared with and someone says that to you directly, look, you you need to know this. Maybe you feel humiliated, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it you, it tells you, it shows you, shoot, I need to be prepared. I'm dealing with people's lives here. This is a big deal. So the fact that you you felt humiliated, I, I don't think that that's actual mistreatment. Now, however, it all depends how it depends on how did that physician what what did they say to you? What did that in your in your your scenario, Ryan? What how did they say? You know, oh, the, it's not what you said; it's, it's how, how you, you said it. it. How many times have you said that to me? <laughs> but it's true. So it if I they know. said you freaking more, or, you know, we're we're PC on this show, or not PC? What's the word? I'm G rated. G rated. Um, you know, if they used all sorts of cuss words and said you yes. blah blah moron, how could you're you be useless. so stupid? Right, you're useless. You you pee on you moron. You yeah. And I've seen that happen. We both have. Yeah. That's not acceptable because. It's not okay to humiliate. It's not okay for that physician to decide, well, I'm going to humiliate this medical student. That's that's my prerogative because I'm the attending and I or I'm the resident and I get to humiliate them and make them feel small and stupid. That's not the point. The point is you're trying to educate them on the value of of coming prepared for a case yeah. or the value of of knowing your patient well. Very very different from just pointing out, "Hey, you needed to know this." And so Ryan, for those for those listening, tell us what pimping is. Define that for people so they understand. Pimping, <laughs> some some would call it a, an acronym or, or, yeah, an acronym that stands for put in my place. Ah, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you forgot. See, I bring the knowledge to the show. So it's something. <laughs> she's shaking as her always. head. She's, so it's something that historically, again, it's one of those, this is the way it's always been so let's continue it it's a way for an attending when you're in doing teaching rounds typically it's a way for an attending or resident to ask questions about disease processes or surgical procedures or whatever to test your knowledge obviously when you're on clinical rotations the only the 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 big test that you take is at the end of the rotation but during the whole time, you're being evaluated. You're being evaluated uh, on your skills. You're being evaluated on your knowledge, your your bedside manner. And one of the ways that attendings evaluate you and residents evaluate you as a medical student is by asking you questions. This is probably one of the most stressful situations for medical students and something that we try to prepare a ton for, hopefully everybody does, because we want to show that we know the answers. We want to show that we've prepared because we want the best grades. It might it might be the rotation uh, that ultimately you want to be a part of the residency program, so you're trying to show off and, and show your knowledge and your skills to these residents, to the attendings, because you want to get into residency there. And so it's a very stress-inducing environment. And, and I believe, and, and looking at this data here, the percentage of medical students reporting mistreatment by type and graduation year. The highest percentage of students, the type of mistreatment that they're reporting is publicly belittled or humiliated. I think, and this is just my gut feeling, 
that a large percentage of these people reporting are ones that were pimped and felt publicly publicly belittled and humiliated. Yeah, and what would be very interesting would be to know much more in detail about what were those scenarios. Because again, if you're in front of a group of people at a conference and an attending calls you out as a medical student in front of the entire department about how much of an idiot you are. And I mean, uh, for everybody, that would feel humiliating and, and I think classify for all of us as mistreatment. But if you were just in that same room and someone pointed out, hey, so-and-so probably need to read up, you'd probably feel pretty embarrassed because it's in front of the whole department, but that person wasn't out probably to belittle you or humiliate you. There's a line, and I think what we're trying to get across is that as you progress through your medical education, there is a line. And yes, you should be reporting mistreatment. If, If a surgeon in the operating room is is cussing at you and telling you to get out of the operating room and and just just truly belittling you that's a line that's been crossed and, and you should report that if you didn't know an answer and they said hey you need to know this and some other medical students are in the corner chuckling that you didn't know it that's that's not mistreatment that's just part of the pro- the the learning process yeah, and you just need to learn how to brush it off. Just brush it off your shoulder. Bigger fish to fry. Yeah. So I want to talk about duty hours. We've talked about duty hours in the past, and this is kind of jumping towards residency. I, I've always called residents very cheap labor, and that's how our medical system survives, is on the cheap labor of residents. That's that's kind of the dark side of medicine, wouldn't you agree? I think so. In fact, of course. I mean, that's one of the things. <laughs> so if if you average, it took the average resident salary divided by how many hours they worked. Oh. <laughs> what kind of money are we talking about? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. a lot. <laughs> you don't know. Here, let me do the math real quick. So the average is typically around forty five thousand dollars a year, depending on on where you go to school or where you do right. residency. What city? Yeah. yeah. So higher cost of living areas typically is a little bit better. So 40 we'll t- we'll say $45,000 a year. Sounds like a lot of money to a medical student who's been paying 60 grand to go to school. Mm-hmm. You finally are getting money. It's awesome. So $45,000 divided by uh 12 months, right? Mhm. Actually, it's do divided by 52. For weeks. weeks. Yeah. Okay. It's easier. Divided by 52 weeks. Divided by 80 hours in a week mm-hmm. is the, the maximum, air-quoted maximum number of hours you're allowed to work. Yes. Did you always abide by those work hour rules? Oh, of course not. Of course not. But you said you did <laughs> in the little surveys <laughs> well, that you had to a, fill out. Well, and it's a much bigger deal when you're a resident because it you really, the ACGME works really hard to to make sure that residents are abiding by that. And and programs actually can go on probation when, when residents uh, are working longer than they're supposed to be working. Yeah. But as a medical student, it's a little bit of a gray area because, again, you may be asked by your resident to show up and, and, and have the same hours that they're working and your grade can very much depend on how well that resident thinks of you and, and how hard they think you're working. So it's a little bit 
difficult. <laughs> Sometimes, yes, you might be working 80 hours right alongside that resident. You might be working uh, even more than that. And and yeah. Yeah. So I did the math and it's about $10 an hour, roughly, mm. that you make as a resident. Yeah. That's not minimum wage, but... What is minimum wage nowadays? I was just wondering that. Seven eighty five. dollars I think it just something? went up. But but yeah, yeah I think I you have know. to consider the kind of work you're doing for yeah. $10 an hour. Yeah. And what... You, and, you know, you're majorly sleep deprived. You're getting up at all hours of the night. You're eating on the fly. Sometimes not at all. It's not easy work. That's for darn sure. Yeah. <sighs> Any other dark things about medical education that you want to talk about? Let's see. I think the subjective grading that comes in in third and fourth year, it's maybe not dark, quote unquote, but it's it's difficult. I think Ryan and I are presenting what we see are some of the challenges of medical education. And, and this is not something that's really dark, but it is challenging. In what we're, I'm referring to is that in the first two years, uh, we, we know that you take exams in and they're on a certain date and you study for them and, and that's that. You do take exams in your second two years, your your um, shelf exams. Yeah, shelf and, exams. Uh, at DO schools, they're, they're called something else though. I forget. So you're taking- DO shelf exams. You're taking <laughs> these exams for each class, but you're made, you're, the majority of your grade at most schools is actually- uh, done or, or calculated, I should say, based on the about the subjective evaluation of the residents and attendings who are supervising you on the wards. And this can be a big challenge, uh, especially for people who are quote unquote book smart, but then don't have a lot of people skills because <laughs> you're, you're, you're thrown into an environment after your second year ends and your first day of your third year, you're thrown into an environment where you're working with a team of people and immediately you're you could get pimped the first day, just like we were, we were talking about pimping. Pimping can happen at any time, any place. It's not like in the first two years where you you go to school, you're, you're in class, you go home and you study. It's not like people are, are walking around the library observing you and and, and evaluating you uh, like a hawk. Um, That'd be stressful. Yeah, that would be stressful. But it's like that when you get on the wards because you are being evaluated. and You're expected to hit the ground running. You are right away. And there are so many different personalities that that come into this and so i think the fact that your grade is is just a lot more sort of um it's more fluid it's it's yeah. it's just hard i think and there was there was a big new york times article recently and we'll link to it in the show notes if i can find it that talked about how students that most likely don't deserve to pass a clinical rotation will end up passing because attendings don't want to fail them. Yeah. And that's pretty bad. That is terrible. And there just there are so many things that go into to being a good medical student in the third and fourth years. And I think sometimes behaviors that are not great are probably rewarded and, and behaviors that and and then there are medical students who are doing a great job and, and they're not Maybe they're working with a resident who really doesn't care and or an attending who really doesn't care. And so they don't get the grade that they deserve. And that actually, Ryan, I think segues really nicely into that. The last point we have, which which is that a lot of the education that you have in your your third and fourth years 
is provided by the residents that you're working with. And mm-hmm. sometimes they may not be the best teachers. They may not give two, two licks about teaching you. That that might not be their, their top priority. Their top priority may be getting home super early to their wife and kids or uh, getting out to go golf as soon as possible or <laughs> whatever it may be. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I think that Many residents that I've seen really, really enjoy teaching. It's part of the culture of academic medicine. We, you know, see one, do one, teach one. You, you, you really want to give back to that that student who you see is excited about the field that you're working in. But some people really are they don't care, and and some people also just fall into the trap of of their own. They're they're human beings. They're really tired. They have kids at home. They just need to get in, do their work, and get out, and and try to stick with that eighty hour work week and not be going over and. It's, it's they may hard. not be good sometimes, at it either. Right. They may be terrible. It's it's just like, you know, sometimes in, in college or, or in high school, you have a, a teacher that's been there for a million years and, and they're they're Everybody thinks they're a terrible teacher, but some <laughs> for some reason, the school still keeps them on. Now, I guess that wouldn't be the same with a resident because you only do residency for a certain number of years. But but the point remains that some just because someone is put in a situation as a teacher does not mean that they were meant to do that or that they're any good at it. And so. I think the way to deal with this is, number one, try to look for those residents who who look like they are or show you that they are interested in teaching and, and try to milk them for all their work worth, you know, uh, try to spend as much time learning from them as you can. Same goes for attendings. And of course, you always have your books uh, to, to try to fill in the gaps. But don't get don't be disheartened, I think, by residents who are, are not interested in teaching you. I fell into that trap in one of my rotations in my third year, and I, I felt so just just frustrated and uh, just just really disappointed because I was so excited about that rotation and, and it ended up being just miserable. Um, so let me let me ask you, let's 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 kind of wrap this up and 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 talk about we we've talked about gunners and scut work and mistreatment and berating and humiliating and pimping why go through it <laughs> because it's uh, because we both of us would do it all over again a million times over because we love what we do because it is such a privilege every day to take care of other people to take that excitement that you had back with Mr. Bigglesworth with that cat that you <laughs> dissected cat. a million years ago and uh, and me you know growing up with a dad who who put a helmet on my head for like <laughs> ice skating. We grew up being so excited about science and, and being people, people, you know, you talk about being a people person, wanting to, to help other people and then translating that into, uh, into medicine where, where you get to, to take care of other people on, on, you know, a daily basis and make a difference in their lives. Sometimes even have the privilege of saving a life and, and what could be a greater gift to someone than that. So the awesome privilege and responsibility that it is to be a physician. Yeah. You go through a lot of, of nasty kind of hurdles uh, and, and maybe you have to cart around vomit and maybe you get pimped and maybe you get belittled, but, but at the end of the day, it's all worth it. If you do, unfortunately, um, get mistreated at some point. I hope that you never do. Uh, and if you're a medical student now, I hope that you are, have not been. If you do, uh, if you are mistreated, speak up because there are so many of us out there practicing physicians who who do care and would never want that for you as a, as a student. 
And Ryan and I both have students that we've uh, taught and, and love doing that. It's part of why we do this podcast. Uh, so speak up, but but don't listen to this podcast episode and think, oh God, you know, why do it? Do it. It's It's always at the end of the day worth it. Yeah. And don't listen to this podcast and think that you have to put up with it because mistreatment is definitely not something that you should be subjected to. It's not. And I think at the end of the day, like anything in life, anything worth anything worth doing is not going to be easy. And so there will be hurdles to go through. Pre-meds out there, you know it. You're you're suffering through it. And medical students, it, it all continues as, as you march up the chain. There are hurdles to, to jump over, bridges to cross, but uh, it's all worth it. It really is. So if you're listening to this as a pre-med or a medical student and you've been subjected to some sort of mistreatment or you've seen the mistreatment of others, I want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Go to the show notes page, medicalschoolhq.net slash 78, as in session 78, and leave a comment there and, and let let us know and everybody else that, that goes to that page know what you've seen and was anything done about it? Did you speak up if you were mistreated or did the other person speak up that you know about? Because what, what I'm interested in is is the action taken by schools against attendings or hospitals against attendings that are doing this. I think uh, that's a big part that may be missing in this whole thing. But speak up and uh, go to the show notes page, medicalschoolhq.net slash 78. If you have a comment for Allison or myself, we can be reached. I am Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net and Allison is Allison at medicalschoolhq.net. Don't forget you have until the end of May 2014 to use the MSHQ5 promo code at PrincetonReview.com to save 10% off their MCAT Ultimate Live Online or Classroom Course. Say hello to us on Twitter. I'm at Medical School HQ. Allison doesn't use Twitter anymore. <laughs> I, well, yeah. <laughs> you never got into it. That's okay. I'm on Facebook. I'm still trying the Twitter thing. I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I love hearing from people. I'm just not good at tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, any other last parting words of wisdom, Allison? I would say whatever step you are in uh, on your journey, enjoy, stick with it, and good luck, and hope to see you next time at the medical school headquarters. Hopefully, Ryan will have me on next time, and it won't be uh, three <laughs> or 400 episodes from now. <laughs> I do want to thank uh, one person that left a five-star review for us just recently. SSJ245 said, nothing else like it. This is the most comprehensive podcast advisor I've found. There's a wide variety of topics, concerns, and interviews. This is a must listen. Great review. Thank you. If we're, you want to leave us, go ahead. What did you say? No, we're just so grateful to yeah. all of you out there who, who leave us these reviews and, and spread the word so that other pre-meds and medical students out there and even residents can, can uh, find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Yep, that's the biggest biggest reason why we ask for ratings and reviews is because that's how iTunes figures out what shows are good and what shows are bad. So we have 163 five-star ratings and one two-star rating. That's awesome. So iTunes assumes that we're a great show. Therefore, we're typically high up in the medicine and, and science and medicine categories. So 
If you're listening to this and you haven't left us a rating or review, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. It only takes you a second, and it means so much to us. Yeah, thank you, guys. And we'll read your name here. So you'll be famous. Famous. (laughs) All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you learned a lot about the process and, and why at the end of the day it's worth kind of the struggles going through. And always, as is the most important thing, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.